This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 521 with Roe Thomas. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 521. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Roe Thomas is an attorney mindset strategist and personal finance coach who believes that true wealth is having control over your time. She helps lawyers make intentional lifestyle and money decisions to regain control of their time, build wealth, and live the lives of freedom and choice they deserve. She has been featured in outlets such as Yahoo Finance, Refinery29, and Mike, and hosts the Wealthy-esque podcast, which explores how lawyers can achieve lifestyle freedom by reframing their mindset and by managing their money to achieve financial independence. And she's joining us here today to talk about how she is finding financial freedom after incurring $670,000 in debt between her and her husband. So listen in today to hear Roe share how she restructured her law career during the pandemic in order to step out of the hustle how she and her husband ended up $670,000 in debt after having their first child, how they found hope and inspiration to start paying off their debt, the first strategic steps they took to start working on their debt, how paying down debt built her confidence and created momentum in her life, why financial independence is a form of self-care, I loved this part, 
how to rejigger your finances based on what brings you joy instead of just mindlessly rejiggering your finances, how women are conditioned to shrink amount around money and finances and how to build financial confidence, the difference between media messages around money for men versus women, and how she's juggling motherhood, marriage, being a lawyer, and running her own business to support women in finances all during a pandemic. And lastly, how Kobe Bryant's death inspired her to just get started and start her own business. And that brought her here today. So I'm so excited and very honored to have Ro join us. So with all that said, please welcome Ro Thomas to the Shameless Mom Academy. Ro, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. This is going to be fun. We were just talking about one of the gifts of this pandemic has been the doors that's opened up for us to be able to communicate with people all over anywhere that we maybe wouldn't have thought to be in contact with prior to the pandemic. So that's kind of where we're at. That's working well for both of us, I think. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, it's been really nice to meet new people, make new friends. (laughs) Yeah, I've met so many people you have. Sorry, I've met so many people that I probably would not have connected with had it not been for the pandemic. So that has been a bit of a silver lining in this last year or so. Yeah, it feels like a lot of ways to connect were taken away from us. And it it's easy to feel a little resentment around that. But when we look at the ways and opportunities to connect that have been created, it feels like a gift at times for sure. Yeah. So I want to dive in and talk a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio. And what are you most excited about right now? Yeah. So beyond my bio, I am a wife. I'm married to my college sweetheart, who is a family physician. So he's right there on the front lines and all of this. And we've got two little ones, four-year-old and almost two-year-old, both boys. And it has been really interesting being here with them over the last year or so and seeing them develop, especially the younger one, you know, seeing the things that he's getting into. And it it was very interesting to watch as he started learning to walk and then run and then get into the four-year-old's toys and, you know, all of that and the different things that have ensued since then. But that's been a lot of fun. And then something that I'm most excited about in my life right now is the way that I am being really intentional about my life. Um, The pandemic really highlighted for me areas where my priorities were out of whack. And I heard someone say something recently. They said that it's things that had always been there, but we had so much other stuff going on that we just weren't paying attention. And so, you know, being forced to slow down like that just really highlighted for me these different areas like where I was not as present as I wanted to be in my home as I, you know, I'm going through the motions, just doing all the things. So I have really slowed down and I'm being very intentional about the choices that I'm making for my life. And I am super excited to see where that takes me. I love that answer because I completely agree. I think that this time has allowed some of us to see how caught up we might've been in overdoing things, overcommitting, hustle culture, and how lovely it can be to step back from that. (laughs) Yes, I completely agree. And I definitely was a big offender with the hustle and doing all of the things. And I always had so much on my plate. And so to be kind of forced to really look at that 
has been a blessing. Yeah, I feel like, well, and I'm sure with a two-year-old and a four-year-old, the hustle might still be there, but it, it's, it's different activities. It's like keeping up with toddlers versus like being, you know, super achievement and productive oriented all the time. Exactly, exactly. There is a bit of hustle in our house, but it's good. It's fun. Are your two children home full time then during this time? Yes. Okay. They are. I'm not ready to send them back to daycare, um, which has been, you know, an interesting thing in itself, like trying to balance being here with them and practicing law and my own business and all of that. And so I've been able to kind of figure out ways to make that work, which has been nice. Yeah. And that's a lot. Like, let's just acknowledge. So you're practice, And are you full-time lawyer? I was a full-time lawyer until recently. That's one of those intentional decisions. Oh, I love it. Tell us about that. Yes. I dropped down to about 50% okay. because I found that trying to balance it all, just it was not working out the way that I wanted to. And Sarah, one thing you should know, I am like very type A, right? <laughs> like I'm super like, I got to do all the things. And I just wasn't. Right. And I had decided at the beginning of the pandemic when we thought we were just going to stay home for two weeks and flatten the curve. Right. I was like, OK, I'm just going to push through and, you know, I'll just kind of hopple along as best I can until we get back into the office and I can pick things up because I had, you know, all the plates spinning. I was doing all the things. Yeah. But as it, you know, kind of dragged on longer and longer and I had a, a performance review and one thing that was coming up in the review, it was like pre-COVID row versus post-COVID row. <laughs> and they were talking about, you know, like, oh, yeah, pre-COVID, like she was doing this and she was on top of that and doing this. And, you know, she struggled a little bit. And it's like, yeah, I have. And I have not acknowledged that. Right. Like I just was like, oh, it's fine. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing, you know. And so, you know, after that review and just really looking at the last year and what I wanted for my life, I decided to drop down to 50%, which allows me to better manage that workflow side, and then also to show up better for my kids and for my business, because I don't have the pressure of the work in the back of my mind all the time. Right. I have this saying that I love that I used when I was going through a professional transition a few years ago, make space for your future. And I feel like what you did was in response to the pandemic in response to you know the immediate needs of what was happening. But I also feel like that's such a great example of making space for your future to like, take something off your plate in order to add on the things that are going to allow you to grow in the directions that you want to grow. I completely agree. Yeah. And it feels amazing. Good, good. I love that. So you work with women and money and finance, and you talk about wealth and what that means and what it looks like. And so I'm curious if you could share what your experience with money has been. I always love, so we've had financial people come on the show from time to time and talk about m women and money. And I always feel like people's money stories are so fascinating. And I had a therapist tell me years ago it was so eye-opening. She said, everyone has a money story. And this was in advance of my husband and I getting married. So she said, are you and your partner both have money stories that you're going to bring into your marriage? And what are those stories and what do they look like? And that was so eye-opening. And so now I'm so intrigued by everyone's money story. <laughs> so yeah, tell us your money story. Yeah. So going back to childhood, my mom went back to school when I was pretty young. I was like seven or eight. 
and she decided that she wanted to become a doctor, which had always been a dream of hers. And so she went through like doing a post-bac program and then medical school. But in the course of doing that, she and my dad got divorced. And so she's a single mom with me, my two siblings. I have a sister and a brother. And so she's like trying to do school and raise three kids. And we didn't know at that time that, you know, we weren't well off or whatever. Like, you know, she did a very good job of still giving us a good life and we still got to do most of the things that we wanted to do and, you know, all of that. But we were on, for instance, free and reduced lunch for most of that time and different things like that. Like I remember getting those like donation boxes of food. Like I didn't realize that that's what it was then, but I know now that that's what that was. And so like we did not have a lot of, you know, education around money and that kind of thing growing up. And then on my husband's side, he also was raised by a single mom. His father passed away when he was about 11. And so it was him and again, two siblings and, you know, their mom just kind of like raising them. He grew up in projects in in New York. And so coming into like our relationship, neither of us knew a whole lot about money. Like we knew to save some, that kind of thing. But, you know, we didn't know a, a lot about it. And because we came from families that did not have a lot of money, like we ended up taking out a lot of student loans and that kind of thing for school. And so fast forward a little bit. I went to law school. My husband went to medical school. Um, we ended up getting married. We had our first child. And at that point, I was a second going into my third year in my law firm. And I was headed back to work after maternity leave. And I was thinking about all of the time, all the hours that I had been putting in and wanting to make some changes there because I wanted to be present for my kid, right? Like I realized that work schedule would not allow me to be as present as I had always envisioned being as a mom. And so that prompted my husband and I to look at our finances. And when we did, we found that we were over $670,000 of debt with a negative $342,000 net worth, which was a gut punch for sure. Wow. So that's kind of my money story up to about four years ago. And may I ask and tell me if you don't want to share, but what were some of the things that made up that debt? I'm assuming some of it was like medical school and education and law school and things like that. Yeah, I don't mind sharing at all. The majority of it was actually student loans. We had about 200000 on our mortgage. We had like a $10,000 car loan. And then pretty much the rest of it, like 400 some odd thousand, 450000 or so was student loans. Wow. The bulk of that was my husband's. I'm going to throw him under the bus there. <laughs> I had about a hundred thousand from law school, but he had a little under three hundred fifty thousand for med school. And then he was actually a resident. I think he was a second year resident when my son was born. And his loans were on one of the income based repayment plans. Okay. And we did that kind of intentionally when we started learning about paying off our debt and that kind of thing. We wanted to get mine out of the way because my minimum payment was about a thousand dollars alone. Okay. And then my husband's minimum payment, because his debt to income ratio was so great, his minimum payment was something really low. Like it, I think at one point it was something like $20. Oh, wow. Yeah, like very low. But we knew that once he finished residency that the, the standard payment was going to kick in and that was going to be $3,000. And so we wanted to get mine out of the way 
before that $3,000 payment kicked in. And so we kept his on that income-based repayment and we filed our taxes separately. And not to get too into the weeds here, I know that there are like there are two different income-based repayment plans and one of which you can do that like the spouses file their taxes separately. And so then only the one spouse's income is considered, but the other one you can't. So I just want to make that clear in case anyone in the audience is like, oh yeah, we should just file our taxes separately. Right. Like you got to make sure that you're on the right plan. And I do not know a whole lot about like the specifics of the different plans. So I can't advise there, but I know that one of the plans allows you to do that. The other doesn't. And so we were on a plan that allowed for us to file our taxes separately and only his income be considered. And so his payment was, like I said, something like $20. And so during the course of us paying my loans off, which was like a year and a half, almost two years, his then blew up from like 340,000 to 370,000. Wow, because of the growing interest? Exactly, because the $20 was not touching right, right. the interest for his loans. And so that was like, okay, great. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that sounds like so stressful to like every month get a statement and be like, now you owe more and now you owe more. And <laughs> Exactly. But when we looked at it, like we did not think that that would be a problem because we were like, okay, we're going to incur this extra, you know, $25,000, $30,000 in interest, but we're going to be able to pay off a little over 100000 in that time. And so we were willing to do that to make that trade off. Right. So that then once his payment kicked in, we owed nothing on mine. Like we were able to pay mine off. So that thousand dollars was not going out and we were able to put it toward his loans. Right. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitch filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. 
This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This is so interesting because this is like a lot of financial strategy that if you were not raised with, I'm going back to the both of you being raised in situations where especially money in on this level, I'm sure was it didn't exist on this level. And then there probably was not a lot of financial strategy. I was also raised by a single mom. And so when you're like living paycheck to paycheck, there's there's not the opportunity to strategize in that same way. And so I'm curious, did that feel overwhelming and scary or did you feel like it was manageable? So when we first calculated everything and saw how much we owed and what our net worth was and all of that, it definitely felt overwhelming. Like I cried a lot. Like it was just like, oh my goodness, what have we done? Like, how will we be able to live? You know, how will we be able to go on? I'm kind of dramatic too, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh gosh, how will we ever? That would be me. I'd be like, are we going to have to like not have a house anymore. You know, like right. All of us live in a studio apartment and But mind you, I was fine before, right? Like before we really calculated. And to be fair, I had talked about paying off our student loans quickly and all of that. But the way that we were kind of looking at it, and especially my husband at that time, he was like kind of resistant to it because he's like, well, everyone has debt, you know, like everyone has loans and we've sacrificed all this time and we went to, you know, all this extra school and all of that. Like, I think we should live. And so we didn't really pay too much attention to it. We just put the minimum on our loans and we were saving a bit. We were maxing out our 401ks, but then we were also like going to these nice restaurants and We were like, we took some nice trips and, you know, all of that kind of thing. So it was eye opening. And going back to your question about the financial strategy and all of that. It's like when we first calculated everything, we started looking up how to pay off debt. And it's like we were coming across blogs and stories of people paying their debts off really quickly. Like there was one guy who... I think he had like a a Harvard MBA or something like that. And he paid off like $90,000 in seven months, you know, and we came across another story of a couple, it was two teachers and they paid their house off in five years. And so here we were like, you know, you get your loans and you just pay on them, pay the minimums and keep it moving. Like we had never even considered that you could pay your debts off faster because that's not 
anything that we were ever taught or anything that we had ever come across before. And so that's where like the learning strategies and things like that came in because we were researching and looking at all of these blogs and listening to podcasts and all of that kind of thing. Yeah, you bring up a really interesting point. We're very conditioned to, because many most people have debt and that's fine. Um, we're very conditioned to like you have debt and then you pay a little bit every month and you just do that forever. And I would imagine when you started reading around how to pay off you know, this big amount of debt that was causing stress, that gave you a lot of hope and optimism and a sense of power. It absolutely did. And one thing that I've learned in coaching is that our thoughts really do create our results. So like, you know, when you have these thoughts, like the ones that I was having when we first saw how much debt we had, like feeling like it's overwhelming, like, oh my gosh, this is so much, like, I don't know how to do this. All of those kinds of thoughts create these feelings that cause you to like, you you might feel discouraged or feel hopeless or whatever. So then the actions that you take are not going to lead to the results that you want. As opposed to, as you said, when we saw some of these more hopeful stories, seeing people who are actually doing it and doing it quickly and doing it on even a lower income than the one that we had at the time, it was like, oh, okay, so we can do this. Right. And so then that gave us that hope that gave us some, you know, encouragement There was also some determination in there because we felt like the amount of debt that we had, the state of our finances was standing in the way of the way we wanted to be as parents. And so then those more positive emotions fueled our actions to really go after it and start paying on the debt and improving our financial position. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How did your experience with that debt shape you over time? I have learned that I can do hard things for sure. (laughs) Yeah. We developed that plan and we have really executed it and been consistent with it. And I'm just amazed at how different I feel, like how much different I feel now about our money than I did just four years ago. So all of that has really helped me to be more confident, I guess is the word I'd say, more confident in my abilities to reach goals that I have. Now, we have not paid it off yet, right? But we are so much further along. I think, too, that experience kind of set me in motion to, as we talked about at the top of the conversation, you know, being more intentional about life. Like up to that point, we were just kind of going along, like doing what we were kind of expected to do what people always taught us to do. We just pay the minimum on these debts and we, you know, set aside our bit for retirement and we set aside this and much for savings, but everything else we can just spend. And when we started learning more about people paying off debts quickly, and we also learned about financial independence and people who are making these really intentional decisions with their money and buying back decades of their lives. Like there were people who are retiring from the traditional workforce in their 30s and 40s. And now we were not interested in early retirement piece, but the idea that we could be independent of our employers, that we did not need an income from a job to live was really intriguing to us because it would allow us to live the way that we wanted to live and be more present with our families without worrying about how that would affect our jobs. Yeah. So I have to ask, did this, did part of your strategy involve giving up the nice dinners and vacations? (laughs) (laughs) So we did definitely scale back. We did not. So before we were going to dinner, 
like once a week. It was like our date night was all the like hottest restaurants around Atlanta. Part of that was that we had a baby, right? <laughs> right. Once we had the baby, we weren't, you know, going out to dinner as often. And I'm going to say here, I was so delusional about what having kids was going to be like. like <laughs> in my mind, we were going to be living the same life with a baby in tow. Like, what do you mean? We're just going to still be doing the same things. And it, it was not that. <laughs> oh, I completely thought the same thing. Yeah. Right there with you. <laughs> like the baby will just like get tucked away under the table. It'll be fine. <laughs> right. Exactly. It'll be right here. Like, it's fine. No, but um, that definitely helped, right? That it was not as feasible to do those dinners out. But yes, we did decide to be more intentional about when we were going out or ordering or whatever. So we scaled that back some. And then with the vacations, we still will do a vacation or before COVID, we would still do vacations, yeah. but we made them more like they were domestic vacations. So before, like we did our, our honeymoon in St. Lucia and we went to Paris and we went to London, like, you know, doing all the things, right. like living the life and dead broke, right? And had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but really great Instagram pictures. <laughs> right. All of that. But these days, like we tend to do vacations that are more local. So like we've been to like New Orleans, we went to Asheville, like, you know, things like that, that are still fun. We tend to go around the holidays. So it's still fun, like, you know, different family members will come and all of that. Um, so we still get some of the experiences, which is what we really enjoy. We tend to do that in lieu of gifts, yeah. aside from gifts for the kids, because they're not like, oh, yeah, great. We went to New Orleans. We don't gifts. We'll still get them a little something, but we will take these trips in lieu of gifts but we're doing more of the uh, vacations where we can like drive to them or, you know, maybe it's a short plane ride, that kind of thing. This episode is supported by Talkspace. Okay, so let's be honest. No one's mental health is like flourishing during this pandemic, right? <laughs> like we are all a little worse for the wear. Some of us more than others. I will tell you I am worse for the wear for sure. So the pandemic has really challenged everyone's mental health. You are not alone in this at all. Between juggling childcare and working under different circumstances with new challenges or maybe not working and having lost a job, spending way too much time with partners, let's be honest, and spending way too much time with children, let's be honest. This is challenging and it is overwhelming and this can lead to crushing amounts of stress, which is why I'm so grateful that I have a therapist. Yes, I'm back in therapy and I'm so grateful because I really need that place to vent on a regular basis. And that's what Talkspace can offer for you. Talkspace therapists give you the support that you need to feel your best. They have thousands of licensed therapists trained in over 40 specialties. So whatever you are dealing with, they have someone who can support you. Your therapist can help you set and achieve goals and help you make progress from week to week. I'm telling you, it's so fascinating. Every therapy appointment I have, I leave with like one kernel, one nugget of wisdom that shifts my thinking in a dramatic way and really helps me keep showing up during hard times. This is life-changing and a huge, huge gift. The other great thing about Talkspace is that it's not a traditional therapy model. You can, depending on your plan, choose to communicate with your therapist via text, video, voice messages, or just a standard weekly appointment. So you get to choose, which makes it really adaptable to whatever works for you. With Talkspace, you have unlimited messaging with your therapist 24-7. So you have all sorts of access to really be in communication on a more frequent basis without having to set appointments and drive across town and all those logistical things. I know that my therapist has given me practical guidance that has really impacted and improved my life over the last few months. And I'm so 
glad that we have the option to use Talkspace for this now. So as a listener of this podcast, you are going to get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To get matched with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com or download the app and then make sure to use the code SHAMELESS to get $100 off your first month and show support for the show. Remember, whenever you support our sponsors, you are also supporting the show and helping me get more awesome sponsors on the show. So go to Talkspace.com code SHAMELESS to get started today. That's Talkspace.com. Use the code SHAMELESS to save $100. I think that when people think about paying off debt and being more strategic with money, there's this sense of like, I'm going to have to like take away all the things that bring joy and fun. And I think you, instead of that, you can actually just make trades, which you just gave great examples of that. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And that's one of the biggest mistakes I see people make when they are trying to turn their finances around is they're like, okay, I'm getting on a budget. So I have to cut out all of these things that I really love and I can't spend any money and I'm just going to eat ramen noodles and like bike everywhere. And it's like, well, that's not going to work because then it feels like deprivation. And so then you're not going to. It's just like a diet. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Like you'll make it like a certain amount of time and then you're gonna be like, screw it and just go all in, go way overboard. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And then like get back to exactly where you were or, you know, maybe even in a worse position. And so instead, I always tell my clients to make their spending align with the things that they value. Yeah. And so, you know, that could be, you know, for me, for instance, I love fashion and beauty and that kind of thing. So like I will still buy nice shoes or, you know, nice makeup or whatever. My husband doesn't so much care for that stuff, but like he's a big car guy. And so when my second child was born back in 2019, my husband was driving a coupe. It was like a Honda Civic and it did not fit all the people. Right. (laughs) So he wanted to get a bigger car and he wanted something a little bit nicer because his car at that point was like. 11 years old and like, you know, he'd been driving it for so long and, or he's from New York. His family was up there, although they have since moved South, which I love, but he would like drive from Atlanta to New York and back. So like he had all these miles on the car and all of that. And so he wanted to get another car. And so we ended up getting an SUV. It was an infinity SUV, but one of the trade-offs there that we made was like, okay, we're getting this like nicer kind of luxury vehicle, but we're not going to get it brand new. Right. So we got, one that was like two or three years old and it still had the different features that he wanted, but it was like almost half the price because of the way that they priced these cars. So that was one way that we were still able to you know, do this thing that he really wanted to do, but not completely blow our budget. Totally. Oh my gosh, I'm laughing because I have I drove a Honda Civic for 13 years and I kept waiting for it to die because I was like, I really want to upgrade my car. And very similar to your husband, I was like, I want something nicer and a little bigger and like all these things. And I did the same thing. I finally, the Civic never died, (laughs) but I finally was like, I'm not going to wait for it to die anymore. I'm just going to sell it and upgrade. But I did the same thing. Like, let's get something three years old because again, it was very similarly, like just such so significantly less, but it felt to go from a 13 year old Honda Civic to a, a, you know, nicer SUV. I was like, I feel like I'm driving like a a Bentley or so. I mean, it felt so fancy to me. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So great. It's so funny that you make that point about Hondas. Like they don't die. Hondas never die. No, they don't. And which is great, but not great when, because my husband was like, well, we're not just going to get a car for no reason. And I was like, oh my gosh, this car's never going to (laughs) die. It's never going to give me a reason to get a new car. (laughs) But you know, I love Hondas. I actually still drive a Honda. I drive a Honda Accord and I love that thing. It's great. 
Yeah, I know. Yeah, Hondas, they go forever. I love them. Okay, so what is financial independence to you? And why do you believe it's a form of self care? Yes. So I mentioned that when we found ourselves in all that debt and we were doing the research, we stumbled upon the financial independence community. And so the way that they define financial independence is when you have 25 times your annual expenses saved and invested and all of that, because based on this study, if you withdraw 4% of your uh, retirement balance or your investment accounts or whatever, you withdraw 4% a year, then theoretically you should never run out of money. And so that's how these different people were retiring in their 30s and 40s because they were, you know, just cutting down to, well, some people were cutting down to the ramen noodles and biking everywhere and we're Mm -hmm. not doing that. But, you know, a lot of people were just cutting their expenses, like making sure that the things that they were spending on were things that they cared about. So maybe buying fewer things, but nicer, that kind of thing. And so that really appealed to us, this idea that we could be at this point where we are not dependent on our incomes from our employers that gives us a lot more freedom, a lot more control of our time, all of that. And so we have been on that path as well. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. And the thing that we have found is that you don't have to reach full out financial independence in order to like access those benefits of having more control of your time and all of that. So like with my husband and I, we've paid off over $400,000 of our debt so far. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you. But that has really opened up our possibilities, our, like we don't have so much that we are responsible for each month, right? Like our expenses are drastically lower. We had already been 
putting money into our 401ks before we turn things around. So like we're not contributing as much to the 401ks because we are putting more of that money on our debt, Mm -hmm. but we're still contributing enough to get the match. And so then with the, you know, different market increases and all of that, like our 401ks are continuing to grow as we're decreasing our student loan balances. And so our net worth is increasing as well. Right. So with all of that, we've got a lot more opportunities open to us. Like, as I mentioned, being able to drop down to 50% at work because we didn't need all of the money that was coming in. Like we are, our expenses are low enough that I could drop down to 50%, especially because of the progress we've made with our debt and that kind of thing. And so we're able to make these more intentional decisions without having to worry about the financial impact. Right. So you've paid off 400000 in four years. Yes. <laughs> That's a very big deal. Thank you very much. But I want to make sure I answer the second part of your question you asked about why financial independence is a form of self-care. And it's exactly what I was saying about having more of that control of your time and being able to make decisions that are right for you without having to worry about your employer, about the financial impact, all of that. So whether you are you know, all the way to the financial independence point, or if you are just on that path and you've been you know, wor- or paying down your debts, you've been increasing your investments, all of that, like getting your finances in order, you are able to make decisions that are right for you, that improve your life, all of that. And that's why it's a form of self-care. That makes so much sense. So I have a question that I imagine people listening might have. So when you have huge student loans from going to law school and going to med school, you also are entering professions where you're going to have higher paychecks and more opportunity to pay down those loans. So what would your advice be to someone who has a lot of debt, but they don't have, they're not in one of those higher paying fields. And so, you know, like paying off $400,000 in four years is not going to be something that's feasible or possible. What would first steps that they could take be that would be probably parallel to what you've done, but maybe on just a different scale? Yeah, I think the first step is making sure that you know what you care about and the things that you value. Like one thing that I have clients do is list out, you know, the top 10 things that bring you joy, right? And when you make that list, then you find a lot of times that the things that bring you joy often are not the things that are that most of your money is going to, right? Like a lot of times the things in our budget are not necessarily things that we actually care about. We tend to get sucked into what our neighbors are doing or our colleagues are doing or that kind of thing, like that lifestyle inflation, keeping up with the Joneses kind of stuff. And so if we instead pay attention to what we care about, right? Like I don't care anything about, you know, driving around in my almost 10 year old Honda because I don't care that much about cars. So I'm driving that. My husband, you know, has his car because he enjoys that, but he doesn't care about fashion. So he'll, you know, not that he just wears whatever, but (laughs) he's not paying extra for shoes. Right. Exactly. So like it's those kinds of things. Okay. Making sure that you are keeping your spending in line with your values and you'll find that your spending will naturally decrease because you're not spending so much trying to impress other people. 
I love the idea of creating this list of things that bring you joy and seeing how aligned that is with the things you actually spend money on. Because I think that could be such an aha for so many people where you're like, oh, like this thing over here brings me joy, but I'm spending all this money on this other thing over here that doesn't bring me joy and I'm just mindlessly doing it. And then you can start to like cross-reference those lists and make significant changes probably. Yes, exactly. And that is, I think, something that everyone should consider doing because it's so easy for us to get caught up in just spending because you're supposed to, right? Like, oh, I got a raise. I'm supposed to get a bigger house or I'm supposed to get a new car because the car loan is up or whatever. You know, just paying attention to what you actually care about, you're probably going to spend a lot less. And then you can take that money that you're saving and put it toward whatever your financial goal is, whether it's saving more or paying off debt or whatever. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I want to talk a little bit about money and women and the messages that women get about money and financial independence. So what do you think you'd like to see change regarding how women are conditioned around money? Yeah, I think we are conditioned to be very cautious Mm. and, you know, timid in general. Like I think about, for instance, when we are starting new jobs, women are less likely to negotiate on salary than men are. Yeah. Or even, you know, if you're already in the job, we're less likely to ask for the raise than the men are. Like we feel like if there are these like 10 qualifications that you have to have before you can get this next bump or whatever, and we've got eight of them, it's like, oh, I got to wait until I get those other two. Men are like, oh, I got four. That's fine. Let's go for it. You know? Right. Yes. 100%. Like four is good. I'm very qualified. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And so I'd love to see us to be like be less cautious and like more assertive in the things that we go after, the things that we ask for. I think we also have this narrative that women are not as good with money as men are. Mm-hmm. And I think some of us internalize that. And so I'd love to see us be just feel more confident around money. You know, educate yourself. There are all kinds of amazing podcasts that teach about money and amazing books. One of my favorite books, I'm speaking about on our previous conversation regarding like the intentionality and making intentional decisions for your life. There's a book called Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin and Joe Dominguez. And uh, they actually, well, Vicki updated it within the last year or two, but it's an amazing look at how your money correlates to your time and your life. And if you look at things that you're buying in terms of how many hours you have to work to buy that thing, like it changes the way that you look at purchases that you're making. But I'd love for us to just educate ourselves more on money and be more assertive in going after the things that we want. Yeah, I love that. I totally agree that we are conditioned to shrink around money and we're conditioned to think everything you said that we're not good with money. It's interesting that I was really good at math in school, but that didn't translate into me having any confidence around money. (laughs) And you would think like numbers are numbers, right? Not that I thought I'm bad with money, but I've always just assumed that it was very confusing and hard to figure out, even though I was very confident around like being in the highest math classes, which is interesting that those things don't translate. And I would guess that that's a cultural conditioning, social conditioning thing, that there was no messaging from society telling me that like, if you're good at math, like you're going to be great with your finances or you're going to, you'll have better ways of strategizing or being thoughtful around money. Like there was just no connection made there. 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And there was a study, I can't recall the specifics now, if I find it though, I can send it to you. But it was looking at the messages that women get in the media around money versus messages for men. And the media that is targeting women tends to talk about like, oh, you know, being more conservative and you got to budget and look for deals and that kind of thing. Whereas the media that's directed toward clipping coupons. Yes, all of that. And the media directed to men talks about investing and like you got to spend to get money and like that kind of thing, like teaching them to be aggressive in the way that they go after uh, the money and the things that they want and all of that. Whereas we are taught to like kind of stand down and like, oh, you, you've got to just save more and that kind of thing. So that was really interesting to me. That's so maddening. And that is so interesting. I'm thinking about my mom and like I grew up, my mom was such a coupon clipper. And I remember when I went to college, she would mail me coupons for like 10 cents off a can of black beans and like all these things and I would never oh. use them. And she was always like <laughs> offended that I didn't use them. And then even now, like it's even in adulthood, she's mailed me coupons and or brought them when she's come to visit or whatever. And I'm like, mom, I'm just not going to take the time to like to save $3. Like to your point, I'm like, there's other things I could do that are more strategic with my money than looking for how to save 10 cents on a can of black beans. So that's really, really interesting because you're right. Like men are very conditioned to like the strategy and the investment and like looking into how to grow your money and all those kinds of things. And yeah, <laughs> we're looking in the Sunday paper for our coupons. Now, I will say, Sarah, because I'm not a coupon clipper, but I do like a deal. And so I think that the things can work in tandem right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I think that you can find those deals or, you know, find where you can do savings, but then at the same time, also be looking at ways that you can grow your money. Yeah, absolutely. And you talked about around time and energy. And so like, yes, a good deal for sure. But like, I'm not going to invest, you know, an hour a week to looking for coupons that will save me $5 versus when I could be using that same hour to do something that would be like, researching how to be more strategic with a rental property or our 401k or whatever. So I think like looking at how we invest our time and energy around our finances can matter. And so using our time and energy to leverage resources that have the most potential for gains. I completely agree. Yeah. I think to your point about, you know, spending the time to save a dollar versus spending the time to figure out how to do something better with this asset or whatever makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So how have you learned to balance your roles as mom, wife, lawyer? And then tell us a little bit about, so I want to know how you work with women. And also you have your, you do your law work with law, but then you also work with money, women in finance. So can you explain kind of how you juggle all of that? And what does that look like? So I have learned first to your first question that I need to take time for myself. I was not doing that before, especially after my second child was born. And I found myself in my friend's office crying about how I was failing as a wife and a mom and a lawyer. And I just felt like I was not doing the things. And like we mentioned that I'm very much type A, like very, you know, perfectionist, all of that. And so I felt like I was not doing the things that I wanted to do. And, you know, most people know, I think going from one kid to two is like exponentially harder. And I didn't appreciate that it was going to be that way. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up going to therapy and I was talking to my therapist in our very first session about 
how I felt like I was failing as a wife and a mom and a lawyer. And she asked me about the me I wanted to be. And I had not considered myself outside of those roles. And so when she asked me about the you, that what really got me thinking and made me see where I had lost myself in motherhood. And that's where I started to implement that like me time. So I get up early, especially in the pandemic before my kids so that I have time to myself to I read the Bible and I will journal and all those kinds of things. And then with respect to juggling my business and my family and my job, a lot of that is like making those intentional decisions about my time. So I do like time blocking and I have set times for when I'm going to work on the business, when I'm going to do work, work, all of that. And that has been especially helpful in this pandemic with my kids being here with me all day, you know, all of that. It was a lot easier to juggle before the pandemic. But as we mentioned, or we talked about did, I feel like before the pandemic, we thought we had a lot on our plates and we were like, oh, this is so much. It's sometimes it's too much. And then we were like, oh, we had no idea what too much was. <laughs> no, exactly. You know, we were talking, I think, before we hit record about how the pandemic just brought like all of this awareness to things that were already there, but that we didn't realize. It's like this uh, new thing comes in and just kind of threw us all off balance. And so we had to figure out how to balance the things. Yeah, finding that time, like making the time in my calendar, I literally have it like set out times that I'm going to do work for my job and times that I'm going to do work for my business. And even like I've got one that's like TV time for the kids slash mommy time, you know, so that I can just take a break. But all of that has been really crucial in, you know, managing all of the things and staying sane. I love it. So tell us how you work with women and money. What does that look like? at rowthomas.com. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I coach women around their money, mostly lawyers, because I am a lawyer. And so I tend to attract a lot of lawyers, but I am open to working with other women as well. But I coach around how women can get their finances under control. I talk about things like uh, mindset, we go through budgets, we go through paying off debt, we go through investments a little bit. I don't advise on investment specifically, but we do talk about how you can make room to invest and all of that kind of thing. So it's been a lot of fun. It's something that I started about three years ago. I was working with colleagues at work and some friends from law school. And in the pandemic, like last year was just a whirlwind for me. It was very eye-opening. And it started even before the pandemic. So like when 2020 hit and it was like, man, 10 years has passed. And I was thinking like, I don't want to look up another 10 years from now and still be thinking about like, oh, I should do this thing. Like I had been talking about wanting to educate people on their money and wanting to help lawyers, especially who feel like there are a lot of lawyers who feel miserable in the law. Yes. And I could see that. <laughs> I've actually seen a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. And I could see just from like talking with different people that if they learned some of the things that I was learning about money, 
that they could make some different decisions. And I was like, oh, I should teach people this, you know, and I had a, a little blog, but I was not really promoting it or anything like that. And so 2020 hit. And then Kobe Bryant's death hit me hard because it was like, man, he and his daughter, like that was not supposed to happen. And then this global pandemic. And so I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this thing, then I should do it. And so that's how I launched my own podcast and started like getting the word out about managing money, but also managing your life, Mm. you know, like doing the thing like you don't have to wait until you're completely on top of your money to live the life that you want. And you can start making some of those intentional decisions now and all of that. So that has been, it's been a lot of fun. And like we mentioned, I've been able to connect with a lot of people that I probably would not have connected with before. Yeah, I love that connection to that your purpose was connected to that loss around Kobe Bryant's death and feeling that sense of inspiration that like there's it would be irresponsible to waste the time that you have. And I think that's so important for us to recognize. And we have those moments where something happens and then you're like, oh my gosh, like I can't waste another minute. I like, I'm meant to do something more. I'm meant to do something that has deep impact. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah, that was exactly it for me in 2020. And just all of the things, like, I don't think that any of us could have seen 2020 coming, right? Like, that whole year, like everything that happened was just like, oh my goodness, like one thing after another that you don't expect. But it, you know, it highlighted the brevity of life and how important it is, as you said, to use our time wisely. And, you know, if there's something that you want to do to do it. Yeah. Okay. So tell me, Ro, how are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? I am showing up as a shameless mom by making the time for myself and doing the things that I want to do unapologetically. Mm, I love it. So good. This has been so great. And I feel like so I love that you use the word unapologetic, because I feel like so much of what you're doing is like helping women become more unapologetic and money can be something where we need to be more unapologetic. So I just I love that's the word that you chose. Um, This has been so eye opening and inspirational and really helpful. I know that there's people who are feeling inspired to go look at the way that they're managing money and feeling empowered that they can empowered to take action in a way that is a little less daunting than maybe they would have thought. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Can you tell people where they can find you and connect with you? Yes. Thank you again for having me. This has been such an amazing conversation. And if anyone would like to connect with me, you can find me most often on Instagram. My handle is at I am Ro Thomas. And then you can also find me at my website, rowthomas.com. And Ro is R-H-O. R-H-O Thomas in those places. I love it. So we will link everything in the show notes. If people go to shamelessmom.com, they can click on the episode with Ro Thomas and see all of the links for everything that's been mentioned, including the book that you mentioned, Your Money or Your Life. And Ro, thank you so much for being here. This has been really, really great. Thank you for having me, Sarah. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode 
episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unstick-